passage comes from Matthew 3, 1 through 12. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this he is he who has spoken of the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of these trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Katie. Uh, This is the word of the Lord, and some of you are thinking, didn't we hear this last week? And the answer is yes, we did. Uh, but we are, as we're moving through uh, the, the entire gospel, uh, we, we focused last week on the issue of baptism, and in particular Jesus' baptism, but we did not get to uh, think about at all this person called John the Baptist. And so this morning, uh, our question is, who is John the Baptist? And so we want to turn our attention to him, and if you're wondering why... Uh, I found it very interesting to learn that every single gospel author in beginning to tell the story of Jesus starts with John, all of them. So John evidently is pretty important. And if you have the name John, I'm sure you agree. I see some heads nodding. I see some Johns in this room. And so here we have uh, John the Baptist before us. And last week, we in, in presenting baptism, One of the things that we saw is that people were coming to be baptized in response to the preaching of John who said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and so uh, prepare, get your hearts ready. And the response to this call for preparation was confession of sin and repentance of sin and then baptism. So the the knowledge of of John preaching and saying, the kingdom of heaven is coming, you need to prepare yourself. The proper response that we saw were those who confessed their sins, repented of their sins, and then submitted to baptism. And then we saw that Jesus also was baptized. And it raises a question, because if baptism means repentance from sin and forgiveness from sin, then why is Jesus being baptized? And I, I noted a couple of reasons 
First of all, it is uh, the will of God. Jesus submitted himself to baptism because God the Father wanted him to. And we know he wanted him to because he shouted, that's my boy, at the moment that Jesus was baptized. And so he affirmed what Jesus was doing. Jesus was also affirming that the message that John the Baptist was preaching was right. It is good and right to repent of sins, to confess your sins, turn away from them, and, and turn to the Lord. Third, we see Jesus is establishing a pattern. Uh, he calls all of his disciples who want to follow him and be obedient to him to be baptized. And the beginning of that process of discipleship begins in the, the waters of baptism. Uh, fourth, we see a, a Jesus is, is symbolically getting into the mess of our lives with us. In, in joining in baptism, he's identifying with us as sinners. Uh, fifth, he's also uh, being revealed to the nation of Israel as the Messiah. Because at his baptism, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove on him to anoint him, showing to John particularly that this is the Messiah. Jesus is God's only Messiah. So it was a kind of spiritual coronation. So all four of the Gospels then begin by pointing our attention to John the Baptist. And the question is, who is he? Why is he significant? Why should we spend some time thinking about him? And I feel uh, slightly inadequate, as I do almost every week. Um, I feel inadequate to rightly bring the truth. And so I, I take great comfort in a passage from Paul writing to Timothy who, who asks him, he says, think over what I say to you and the Lord will give you understanding. And I, I want to pray that. I want to invite you to pray with me that the Lord, you will help us to think so that we can gain understanding for how we would respond to what we see today. So let's just pray together. Uh, Father, your word is filled with promises that give us hope and uh, the command to think over what your word says and the promise that you will give us understanding you gave to us through Paul to Timothy. And we want to apply that to our lives this morning. We need help in thinking. We need help in focusing our thoughts. I need help in speaking and handling your word rightly. And so I ask for all of us to have the help of your Holy Spirit, that we'd be willing to receive what we understand and that by your spirit, you would grant us the understanding that we need as we think about John. And so Lord Jesus, help us please, I pray in Christ Jesus' name, amen. So as I ask the question, who is John the Baptist? I see three answers from this text. Uh, first of all, he's a, a preacher. He comes as a preacher. Secondly, he comes as a prophet. And third, he comes as a pointer. Uh, so we'll take a look at, at all three of those. Uh, first three verses really show us he comes preaching. John comes preaching. Uh, verse one to three, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Uh, so this, this word preaching, well, in those days, in case you're wondering, um, there's about a 27-year gap between the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. Uh, John now begins his ministry. Uh, John was six months older than Jesus, and uh, Jesus, we are told by Luke, began his ministry at about the age of 30. So John's, you know, 30 and a half, uh, something about that. Um, but we, we have heard nothing. Matthew tells us nothing from the time of when Joseph and his family relocates to Nazareth until now. So we have this massive uh, gap of, of silence. And then suddenly John bursts on the scene. Matthew starts writing. 
he, he now takes our attention to Matthew. And so it's been a little bit of a passing of time, um, but he doesn't tell us exactly. Luke does. Luke tells us it's the 15th year of Caesar Tiberius, which is about A.D. 29 or so. So in case you're wondering when this is. But John comes preaching. And, and the verb uh, preaching, caruso in the Greek, simply describes the activity of a herald discharging his office, proclaiming, announcing, declaring. So he, and herald is, is one who goes before the king and, and proclaims to those a, along the way that the king is coming. And so get ready. He, so he prepares people, but he also prepares the road. So gets rid of branches, anything that would be in the way, fills in potholes. He's, he, he's a way of preparing the, the path for the king to come so that things are smooth. And John is one of those heralds. This is, this is what he's doing. He's heralding the coming of the kingdom. And I, it, it was amazing to me, if you watched the queen's funeral, you saw a herald who went before her casket. Uh, clearing the way, figuratively preparing the way. So heralds, if you think, are, are, are very far away. They're not. I was, I was amazed that in uh, thinking about all of this, we just I saw some uh, in the funeral procession. Uh, so they go before and announce the coming of the kingdom. But John is unique. He's not preparing for a physical kingdom. The roads are not physical roads that he's preparing. It's human hearts. It's not trees John is commanding to clear and potholes and and other sorts of encumbrances to smooth travel. What John is doing is saying the the road of your heart is where the Spirit of God will abide and your heart therefore needs to be holy. If a holy God is to come and happily dwell with mankind, the place must be holy. And so he calls us to abandon our sin to let go of our sin, right? The point is not to keep you from having fun. The point is to help you maximize your enjoyment with God the Father who created you. And so he says, turn away from your sin, clear out your heart so that you are ready for the coming of the kingdom of heaven. That's the kind of message that he is heralding. And and Matthew wants us to know this heralding is part of a plan. John's message, that's why he starts with him, is because a long ago at the prophet Isaiah, here in uh, verse 3, he says he's the fulfillment. So look at verse 3 with me. The voice of one, this is he, this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. You'll find this quote in chapter 40, verse 3. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So this, this quote helps us, right? The voice of one crying in the wilderness, that's exactly where John the Baptist is. So if you're ever wondering, why did John the Baptist, why was he preaching in the wilderness? Why didn't he go to, you know, the town center, Jerusalem center, where everybody can hear? Why in the wilderness? It's because he's fulfilling prophecy. John knows what his calling is on his life, and he sees himself as fulfilling uh, Isaiah 43, which is this, this way in the Lord. He's a voice in the wilderness proclare, declaring to prepare the way of the Lord. So I, I think if you were to ask John the Baptist, what's your life verse? He would say Isaiah 40 verse 3. Because when he is asked by some of the Levites and the priests who come to him, they're confused about him. So they leave Jerusalem. They go out into the, the Jordan wilderness and find him preaching. And they ask him, who are you? He quotes this verse. 
He quotes Isaiah 40, verse 3. He says, I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. So, <clears throat> so John sees himself fulfilling this prophecy. That's why he's preaching where he's preaching. And John knew God's call on his life from a child. And so uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 80 says this, the child grew, talking about John, grew and became strong in the spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance. So John's father, Zechariah, if you remember, prophesied over him, and angel Gabriel came to Zechariah and said, this, this little boy who you're going to raise, he had miraculous origins, you remember his mother was barren, and, and he, uh, you are going to have a son, and he's going to be a prophet of the Lord, and he will go before the Lord in the, in the spirit and the power of Elijah, is what Gabriel said. And so he will proclaim and prepare the way of the Lord. John knew this, and so this verse tells us he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance. So evidently, John, when, as he got old enough to leave home, he did not strike out for the big city. He went out for the barren Judean wilderness. He knew what God's calling was on his life, what God's purposes were, and so off he went. And he was going to obey it, even if that meant giving up everything, leaving everything behind, and going and obeying the word of God to, uh, to preach in the wilderness. So who is John the Baptist? He's a preacher. He is a preacher who dedicated himself to following the will of God and went out into the wilderness in order to do it as a part of the fulfillment of what God spoke through Isaiah. So the second answer we see of who is John the Baptist is he was a prophet. Uh, he is a prophet. For verse three, we, uh, 4, we see this. Uh, now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and honey. Anybody want to go visit John for lunch? Why did he wear camel's hair and a leather belt? Uh, if, and you remember, Matthew's writing to Jews. And Jews who know their history, when they heard this phrase, would have gone back in their minds and thought, that sounds like Elijah. That's exactly right. Elijah, almost exactly the same words are used to describe him. So 2 Kings 1.8 says this. Uh, some guys went and they visited Elijah and he's describing. He says, he wore a garment of hair and a belt of leather about his waist. And, the, and another one said, it's Elijah, the Tishbite. There's no, no, no doubt who this is. This is Elijah. John is wearing the same clothes as Elijah is because he's, he's communicating his identity. Right? Our appearance communicates something about us. John is communicating something about him, and he's making a connection to Elijah. And it's not accidental. It is intentional. This, this notion of a connection between uh, John the Baptist and Elijah is... Matthew does not make it explicit here, but he will later. In fact, he, he quotes Jesus in chapter 11, and, and Jesus helps us understand the connection. So I'll, I'll read it for you. Matthew 11, 7 to 10. Jesus, Jesus talking. So he's talking to the Jews. And he says, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Some flimsy personality who changes his mind at every you know, a public opinion vote? No. What did you go out to see then? A man dressed in soft clothing? A rich 
prosperity preacher out in the wilderness? Is that what you went out to see? Uh, what did, then did you go out to see? Uh, sorry, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. You, you didn't go out and see a rich guy out in the wilderness. What did you go to see? A prophet? Yes. John is a prophet, says Jesus. Yes, and I tell you, more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare the way before you. So here again, Jesus says he's a prophet. What you went out to see is a prophet. John is a, a spokesman for God. What he's preaching is the word of God. He got his message from God because he's speaking on behalf of God. And so Jesus affirmed him as a prophet. And Zechariah, John's father, said the same thing on the eighth day of his life. He, he prophesied this in Luke chapter 1, verses 76 and 77. Here's father speaking over his eight-day-old son. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. That's exactly what John was doing. He was preaching, you can have your sins forgiven. What a sweet message. Those who are well acquainted with your sins will rejoice in a message that your mess can be cleared up. Your sins can be forgiven. The things that have kept you from God, it is possible to have them removed so that they no longer keep you from God. Praise the Lord for such a message because if we don't have that kind of message, we're hopeless. And John comes on behalf of the Lord saying, if you want forgiveness, you can have it. If you want your sins cleansed, then they can be. Prophets speak on behalf of God. John is a prophet, but he's more than that. He's more than a prophet, and Jesus says so. Did you go see a prophet? Verse 9, yes, I tell you, but more than a prophet. This is he who uh, is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face, and he will prepare the way. Jesus is now quoting Malachi chapter 3. I will send my messenger before your face. So John, not only is he a prophet speaking for the Lord, but he's actually a person who is participating in the fulfillment of God's word. John is part of the fulfillment. That's why Matthew begins where he does. The coming of John is a way of announcing the arrival of the Messiah. And so his importance comes in the fact that he's revealing who the Messiah is because Messiah was prophesied in the Old Testament to appear announced. And, and you'll remember, God always does this. Before he does something that it's it is unquestionably him, he announces it beforehand so that when it happens, we can have confidence and faith that this really is him. So John is a messenger. And, and look at Matthew eleven thirteen to 15. He goes on, and now he makes a connection, Jesus does, with Elijah. And he says in verse 13, that John, if you're willing to accept it, is Elijah who was prophesied to come. And if you have ears to hear, hear it. Jesus is saying John is coming in the fulfillment of Elijah. He is fulfilling those prophecies. And there were three in the Old Testament about the coming of, of, of Elijah arriving prior to Messiah. Malachi 3, 1, and 4, 6, and then Isaiah 43, which we've already seen. So Jesus is saying John is the fulfillment of those prophecies. And he's important because he announces the coming of Messiah. So the Messiah has come. That's the real news. 
But before we get there, John is grabbing your attention and preparing the way for the Spirit of the Lord to begin to come. Now, the disciples didn't get this, even though Jesus saying this, they didn't get it. And in fact, on Mount of Transfiguration, just before Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus had to tell them again, he says, John the Baptist has already come. Because they were confused. And he says, John, uh, Elijah has already come. And then they realized he was talking about John the Baptist. And you find that in Luke chapter, uh, sorry, Matthew 17, 12 to 13. So the teaching here is not that John is Elijah reincarnated, but that he comes in the spirit and the power of Elijah, meaning his ministry is similar to Elijah. And this is exactly what Gabriel said in Luke 1.17. He will go before God in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And I ask myself, well, what are the similarities? What's the similarities of the ministry of Elijah and John? And they're, they're quite amazing, actually. Uh, Elijah's ministry was relatively short, but very powerful. He spent a lot of time in the wilderness, on the run for his life, sleeping in caves and ravines and being fed by ravens, you'll remember. Uh, he remained single all of his life. He, he lived basically a, a solitary existence. Uh, he was hated by Israel's king. And so, uh, yet he was one of the most memorable prophets of the Old Testament. John the Baptist, too. Similarly, in a very short ministry, but a very powerful ministry. He spent a lot of time in the wilderness. He was single all of his life. He lived a very solitary existence. He had a, a few uh, disciples who hung out with him, but they also lived with him out in the wilderness. And he also was hated by a king, so much so that King Herod even eventually beheaded John the Baptist. So, so John is a prophet. He's, he's more than a prophet. He's participating, not just proclaiming the coming of Messiah. He's actually participating in the fulfillment of these Old Testament prophets. And we are told here, and I can't ignore this, um, he eats weird stuff. He eats locusts. Now, now, some interpreters would say this is a kind of um, carob blossom on a tree, but that's, that's, not, that's not the word. <laughs> the word means locusts. Uh, and you can find it in Leviticus 11, 21 to 22, which says there are certain types of locusts that have a certain foot uh, joint in their foot. If they have four feet and there's a joint above it, you can eat four different kinds of locusts. So this is, this is biblical. John's diet is, is kosher. And by the way, I, and I was, as I was discovering this, um, I found out uh, this is still happening. In the Middle East, there are still places who eat locusts. I uh, found an article that um, says one of the ways that uh, Middle Eastern countries deal with the massive locust swarms, which still happens, is, well, you just eat them. And evidently, you can make a salad out of them. So if anybody wants a locust salad, uh, it's available. But my favorite are the chocolate-covered locusts. Um, I could probably get bold enough to try some of that. I don't know about that locust salad, but I could, I could probably try a chocolate-covered locust. Uh, but this is his diet, right? John's, uh, what's the point in saying that? Uh, he's, he's, he's focused on ministry. He doesn't have time to go shopping. I think he, he's, he's going to eat where, the food that God provides where he is. John is on a mission. And so he, the Lord provides for him. So he's a prophet. Um, and third, he is also a pointer. John is a pointer. 
And in my head, did you guys ever hear, did your mothers sing to you, where is Pointer, where is Pointer? Did anybody's mom ever sing that little song? Anybody ever heard that little song? <laughs> you, one person, everybody, everybody else thinks he's nuts for singing this song. <laughs> um, point, John points to Jesus. He spends his entire ministry pointing to Jesus. He points away from himself and he points to Jesus every opportunity he gets. 3.11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. I am not even worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John says, don't, don't look at me. I have a part to play. But fix your eyes on him who baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. You need repentance, but you need the Holy Spirit. You can't commune with the Holy God that we serve without the Holy Spirit. And so he says, I'm, I'm a water boy. Get your eyes on Jesus because he's the one who will bring the Holy Spirit. And so every time people came to him and said, who are you, John? Are you the Christ? He said, no, I am not the Christ. Well, are you the prophet? No, I am not the prophet. Are, are you the one? Are, are we going to worship you, John? Can we set you up? No, no, no. He's, what did he say? He must increase and I must decrease. John's own disciples came to him one day and said, do you know Jesus and his boys are baptizing more people than we are? And, and John said, I'll just summarize this in my own words. Guys, don't you know I'm not the Messiah? I am the friend of the Messiah and my joy is complete. Now that I see him rising in the sight and the, and the eyes of the people. My joy is complete because Jesus is being glorified, is what John says. So he says, don't follow me, go follow him. In fact, Jesus walked by one day and, and John and his disciples were, I think they were having a cup of coffee. And, and Jesus walks by and, and, and John said to them, there goes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Go follow him. And, and they left him. They left John and went and followed Jesus. One of them was Andrew, who became one of the 12. There's John pointing to Jesus. Jesus, I mean, literally that day walking by, and he says, go, go with him. Don't stay here with me. Go with him. Oh, what wise words. And it, it, are you one of those pointers? You pointing people to Jesus in the opportunities that we have. But you want people to see you, right? May we not be cared, concerned with how many followers we have, but may we, may we be concerned with how many followers Jesus has. And let us point people to Jesus. But yet Jesus says some amazing things about John. And as we move towards closing, if, if, so our question is, who's John the Baptist? If you ask Jesus that question, he gives an astonishing answer. In Matthew eleven eleven. he says this, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen one greater than John the Baptist. That's a breathtaking sentence. Of those born of women, that pretty much covers it, there has 
arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Think back. The entire Old Testament? Abraham? John's greater than Abraham? Moses? Jacob? Isaac? The the patriarchs? Uh, David? Solomon? uh, Samson? All of the heroes? Ruth and Rahab and all of the heroes in the Old Testament? John is greater than all of them? Uh, uh, John is the greatest man who has been born up to this point. That's what Jesus is saying. And I just wonder, who qualifies for greatness in your book? Does John make the list? If, if you think about great people, right, is John at the top of the list? Because this is what Jesus is saying. He's the greatest man who has ever lived. And I want you to think about John for just a second. He has no education. Right? We think people who have high degrees of education, they're great people. John has no formal education. He didn't go to Phillips Academy. He didn't make it to Harvard or Yale or Oxford. He had had no advanced degrees. He had no undergraduate degree. He didn't have associate degree. He had no degrees. He had no education to speak of. What about abilities? You think people are great who have excellent ability? As far as we know, he didn't have any, he didn't excel in any sport. He, He didn't play any, any instrument at all didn't have lessons. He didn't have Mozart played in his ear when he was six months old. He was not even a vegetarian. He ate grasshoppers. He had no hobby or any noteworthy talent. He has, think about wealth. Rich people or great people? John had no money. He he had no checking account. He didn't have six months of his salary saved up in the bank account. He didn't have an investment portfolio. He He had nothing. He didn't have a source of income. What about his career? He's unemployed. He's technically homeless. He was a pretty good public speaker. He could draw a crowd. But even with his words, he offended the people who came when they showed up. So he didn't put his skill to very good use. And it got him thrown in jail. So he had a criminal record. He, couldn't, he wasn't hireable, right? What about his connections? Who do you know in high places? King Herod? He beheaded him, right? He, he had no influential people. LinkedIn, zero connections. John knows no one. And apparently he lived by himself except for a couple of guys hanging out with him and he, and he wore weird clothes. I mean, what about his legacy, Right, he, he didn't found a school or a seminary or an orphanage or a hospital. He, he, didn't, have, he didn't found anything and name it after himself. He, he's no one. He died in prison. He had a criminal record. And what about his family? This is the most astonishing part to me. John had no family. His mom and dad, he was never married. He was a single guy for his entire life. He didn't have 12 children to carry on his name. He was what Isaiah calls a dry branch, or in other cultures, a broken tree. Our culture, I think, says if you're single, then there's probably something wrong with you, right? Have you not heard? Well, there's a reason he's single. I think sometimes we as a church are often very guilty of playing into this unintentionally, right? And there's this, we, we hear the Bible verse that it's not good for man to be alone, so get married. 
I think it was good that John stayed single. And it's true for most people that we ought to get married, but it's not true for everyone. John was single his whole life. So was Elijah. As best I can tell, Jeremiah was also single. Anna, who was there the day that Jesus was brought to the temple, she was married for seven years and her husband died and she chose not to get remarried and she remained single for 84 years, praying and fasting for the coming of the Messiah. Is that a, I mean, sometimes we think if you're single, your life is meaningless and fruitless. Did John the Baptist have a meaningless and fruitless life? Did dear Anna have a meaningless and fruitful, I mean, fruitless life? Um, I think it was good that Paul was single. It was God's will that he stay single. And Barnabas, did you know Barnabas was never married? As best I can tell, neither was Timothy. And neither was Jesus. Right? We, we think singleness means meaninglessness, and that's just not the case. Purpose in life is not found in another human person, primarily. It is found in living your life to the glory of God, whether you're single or married. In whatever state you are in, live your life for the glory of the Lord. You think for a moment all that John gave up in order to fulfill God's call in his life. And I don't think he was a grumpy preacher. Right? He, he says, my joy is full in seeing Jesus. And he, he was a, a preacher who moved people. And yet he chose alienation. He chose to live on the backside of town. Alone. Not connected to people, but off apart from people. And yet, he had a message for people. And he fulfilled God's calling on his life and he knew it from a young age, went out into the desert, and into that wilderness, and it could have been 10 to 15 years that he lived until, we are told, the word of God came to him and said, now it's time to preach, John. He waited, I think for at least a decade, living a solitary life, wholly dedicated to the will of God, so that he could fulfill God's purpose. And, and Paul talks about this, right? We don't, we don't talk about singleness much, do we? Paul says that there is a gift of singleness. Right? He says uh, in 1 Corinthians 7, 6, 6 and 7, he says, I, I, he's talking about being single, and he says, I wish you were all like me. But everyone has been given his own gift. Meaning that there is a gift of singleness. Some people are given the ability to be single, unmarried for the rest of their lives for the sake of the kingdom. And, and Paul says that's a great thing because when you're single, you can throw yourself wholeheartedly into reaching out to people, ministering to people for the sake of the gospel. But when you're married, you just think about your spouse all the time, which is true and, and right and good. And yet there is a great blessing that comes from being single for the sake of the kingdom. Jesus talks about that too. He says there are some people who have chosen to live lives of celibacy and, and remain unmarried for the sake of the kingdom. And yet, uh, we think those people are forgotten by God, right? There's nobody to carry on their legacy. They won't have any children to carry on their name. Who's going to carry on John the Baptist's name? Let me read you Isaiah 56, 3. Let not the eunuch say, 
And then the, the eunuch unmarried, right? A person who, who cannot have children. But we'll just put it in the context here. Let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument, a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name and they shall not be cut off. That's astonishing. God promises an everlasting name for those who remain unmarried for the sake of the kingdom. He will write your name on his inner chambers. You're ever before the mind of God. Those who would, who would set apart their lives and remain unmarried for the sake of the kingdom. Uh, God will never forget those who dedicate their lives to him. And so we ask, who is John the Baptist? Well, we're still talking about him today. We, we are admiring him today. And he is a man who had no children. He's single, dedicated his whole life to singleness for the sake of preaching to the Lord. So who is he to you? Is he just some weird dude, lived in a weird place, wore weird clothes, ate weird food, said weird stuff, have no idea what his significance was? Or is he someone who was so content to point people to Jesus that he gave up everything this world had to offer in order to do that? and found meaning and purpose and fullness of joy in seeing Jesus exalted. I I find John very challenging. Are we willing to to live our lives with such dedication? Are we willing to preach, to proclaim the the coming of the kingdom, and, and, and to speak God's words to the world that doesn't want to hear them, and to point people to Jesus? So hear the words of Jesus about John who had no children and was unmarried. He's the greatest man who ever lived. May all of us yearn to to be so passionate about pointing people to Christ that Jesus will one day say something like that about us. Let's pray together. Father, you have a call on our lives and we can we can point people to Jesus whatever job we have wherever we live we can talk about you Lord Jesus and yet you you move sometimes in particular ways and some people you do call for the sake of your name to be single Lord, I don't know if there are people listening to my voice that might hear you giving that call. But if, if so, then I ask, would you fortify them to be as dedicated to you as John the Baptist was? Lord, may all of us be so committed to you that we would happily leave everything behind in order to proclaim your name and point people to you. Lord Jesus, give us that ability as we go to work, even as we go home and we're with neighbors and family and friends. May we not be ashamed of you, ashamed of the gospel, the fact that you forgive sinners and you cleanse us. 
May we boldly proclaim this truth, whether we're single or we're married. May you be the highest and deepest love of our lives. And Lord, I pray that each one of us would seek your face for your call on our lives. And we would manifest a a love for you wherever we are. And whatever occupation you choose to move us into, may we use that to point people to Jesus. And so, Lord, help us to be obedient. And I pray this in your name. Amen.